Welcome to True Crit, the music podcast where John Digital and I, Lizzie Benito, nerd out about artists that we love. This season we're talking about Steely Dan. After Gaucho, Steely Dan rather selfishly didn't record for like, how long was it? Nearly 20. I think it's about 17 years, isn't it, for the next studio album? A long time. Yes. So rather than jump forward, we are looking at their solo efforts. And this week we're talking about Donald's solo album, The Nightfly, which came out in 1982. So not that long after Gaucho. No. And I've really, really enjoyed digging into this album. I've never really listened to it properly. And a couple of the songs I was familiar with, but I actually didn't realise it was him. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So it's, I was like, oh my God. Yeah. It's been quite an interesting experience. It took me a little while because you and I discussed this early on because I wasn't really sure about it. And now I just absolutely just love this album. It's beautiful. It feels like to me, if this record had followed Asia, then it would have just seemed like a completely natural progression. Do you think? Because I find that stylistically, it's very similar to Gaucho in terms of the instrumentation. And it does feel like more similar to Gaucho. Thematically, I think it might be more similar to Asia. Yeah. Because it's quite positive, isn't it? It's quite generally a positive album. It's a really positive album. I think that is most likely due to the fact there's no Walter Becker. Oh, God bless him. in this record. Yeah, so I mentioned this earlier. We were sort of chatting on text today because there were some things that we didn't pick up on during our discussion about Gaucho, which I think are quite significant. And they're to do with Walter because obviously his girlfriend sadly died of an overdose in the run-up to recording Gaucho. And he was also sued unsuccessfully by her family. And then he had a car accident as well, which I think we may have talked about. Yeah. But it kind of dogged the production of Gaucho and I think Gaucho itself, the recording of it was very challenging and it does make me understand why Donald was probably like, do you know what? I'm going to go and do my own thing for a little while. Yeah. He still had music to make and I think he wanted to make it completely on his own terms. Yeah. But with still so many familiar faces. Yeah. They're all here. Yeah. They're all here. You know, Jeff Picaro, Larry Carlton, Chuck Rainey, Dean Parks as well is on here. And another thing we didn't pick up on Gaucho, and I'm really annoyed with myself for not picking up on it. Valerie Simpson of Ashford and Simpson fame, the most incredible couple, R&B singers, soul singers, who I absolutely love. I'm really annoyed that I didn't pick it up because I absolutely, <laughs> I love Ashford and Simpson. I'm a big fan. And, and she's in this loads. She's fantastic in it, I think. Everybody is at the peak of their power. <laughs> on this record yeah agree it's worth noting this record took eight months to record which is quite lengthy that is a long time yeah and one of the very first all digital records yeah it was yeah i did wonder whether the recording process had an impact on some of their performances because i often find it incredible that you'll be a musician used to performing with other musicians and then you're shipped into a studio booth and told to groove to a click track (laughs) it's like grooving with thin air yeah it's amazing i think it might have been larry carlton who didn't actually enjoy it yeah like he recorded like all of his parts for the whole record in about six hours yeah because they chose to just overdub everything Mm. which is kind of how records are made now yeah it is they did lots of vocal comping on this as well the harmonies in this album on a couple of the songs in particular are just mind-blowing 
but they were able to do different vocal takes mm. and because it was in a digital realm rather than a tape realm mm. they could just say okay keep that bit of that line add that bit of that line mm. and kind of frankenstein the vocals together yeah didn't they like almost invent a drum machine for this album they'd already used the drum machine on gaucho called wendell yeah which was built by uh, the engineer roger nichols and then he built a successor imaginatively titled wendell 2 (laughs) (laughs) spent a lot of time on that one yeah and it just had some upgrades like wendell not to get too geeky wendell get geeky john john (laughs) i love love the geek come on wendell was an 8-bit drum machine and wendell 2 is 16-bit and it could plug straight into the board so it had a lot more clarity and you can't spot it i've tried to listen to this record and been like that's drum machine that's someone actually playing the drums yeah i I think it's really really hard to spot it this was one of the things i actually struggled with is identifying what's a synthesizer and what isn't (laughs) because it's so synth heavy again this album yeah that i was like is this an organ or is this a synthesizer and actually, in the case, it was an organ. There's a bass synth as well in one of the songs. Yeah. So he's really embraced the synth sound, which I think he explored a lot more in Gaucho. Yeah. But as I think I've mentioned before, my car stereo is really shit. <laughs> <laughs> and previous Steely Dan albums all sound incredible, even on my crappy car stereo. But this one doesn't sound as good Whoa. to me. I know, which is weird. But when I listen to it through headphones, when I listen properly, it does sound stunning. Yeah. It's a completely different experience. But I'm wondering whether the mixing of this has impacted my experience. So, you know, go back in time, re-record it for Lizzie. Thanks very much. (laughs) Well, it was for a long time. This record was a test record. So this was a way to test your stereo. And they used it as demos in stereo stores. Yeah. And it is like mixed with an inch of its life Mm -hmm. i always felt until i really did some deep listening as is always the case in every episode of this series i always thought it was a little bit sterile but listening to it again and again and again my ears could kind of hear past that bit there's this really nice grooves and i love it it's a really really great record yeah i love it too and i'm actually finding it really difficult to separate it from steely down yeah because i guess because of don's vocals and the musician lineup that they've got is so similar to what they've done previously yeah quite an autobiographical album as well yeah what i like is that this is for most part of this record it kind of harks back to the 1950s yeah and it's all digital, so it's kind of looking forward and looking back at the same time. Donald actually said that the songs on this album represent certain fantasies that might have been entertained by a young man growing up in the remote suburbs of a northeastern city during the late 50s and early 60s, i.e. one of my general height, weight and build. Should we dive in with Let's that? do it. IGY. IGY. This just sets it off, really, doesn't it? Because yeah. where you were talking about kind of simps... There's a lot of synth work on this. Yeah. And it's got a really nice groove. Yeah. It's a really nice kind of shuffle. I think what I notice the most about is just how forward the vocals are in the mix. He's easily the most optimistic Donald Fagan song we've heard so far. 
Yeah, I think it is. So when I went into this album, and I did mention this to you as well on text before, is that I went into this album with my Steely Dan hat on. So I was (laughs) constantly looking for hidden meaning. I think whilst this song is broadly and truly positive, there is still an element of cynicism. It's a bit sarcastic, I think. Yeah, it definitely is, you know, with them kind of saying in the 50s and all this kind of technology is going to set them free. Yeah, it's sort of post-war optimism, isn't it? Yeah, but what I found interesting about that setup of it, we've got this glorious future ahead of us. There is still that conversation takes place now with some technology. Yeah. It's almost like we haven't. We're just constantly going to a future that's not necessarily going to happen. No, no. We're always looking for it. And yeah, this every time we're kind of like, oh my God, I'm living in the future. Oh, shit. <laughs> It's really awful. What have we done to ourselves? Exactly. And that's one of the things I think this explores sort of later on because it talks about just machine to make big decisions. Yeah. Just machine to make big decisions. Programmed by fellows with compassion and vision. We'll be clean when their work is done. We'll be eternally free, yes, and eternally young. This is kind of a very brief exploration of, you know, human ethics handed to artificial intelligence, which probably actually isn't all that great. Yeah, well, we're not going to know it's not too great until we've got to the point where we can't switch it off. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, we've all seen Terminator. I get such a vivid mental image when I listen to this song. It's kind of like Jetsons-esque kind of cityscape. It also really makes me imagine that it's the episode of The Simpsons, Bart on the Road, where they bunk off school saying they're going to a grammar rodeo in Canada. (laughs) (laughs) But they end up going to the World's Fair in Knoxville. Oh, yeah, that And they climb up the tower. Yeah, the tower is full of wigs. I don't know what, I think it's just a tower at the World's Fair. This song was actually used in a Simpsons episode. It was used in the future drama episode. I just love it when they sing about sci-fi. It makes me really happy. Yeah, he's really good at presenting it as if it wasn't sci-fi. Yeah, so I didn't know. This is one of his most famous songs, IGY, and I didn't know it was him. I heard it loads, and I never made the connection. Oh, wow. It's like top 40 hit for him as well. It's like a really successful yeah. single for him. This record got nominated for seven Grammys. Yeah, I'm really into his idea of a space casino. <laughs> yeah. And an underwater high-speed train. Yeah. On that train or graphite litter On the sea by rail Ninety minutes from New York to Paris New York to Paris. Yeah, wow. 90, 90 minutes. minutes. Can you imagine that? amazing i'd be all over that that'd be amazing (laughs) i feel like only rich people would be able to do that somehow yeah because that's another thing i get from this song as well is that actually this is the sort of cynicism element of it because you know you'll have this glittering glorious modern future but there will always be inequality and actually this will only really be available to people with money It won't be available to everybody in the same way that we have robots doing human jobs. Yeah. There is that line in here, though, where the backing singer sings the line, more leisure for artists. That's amazing. And that's why I think, actually, this is 
broadly sarcastic. Yeah. Because it's not really that great. It's only going to be great for people who can afford it. Yeah. Great way to open the records. Mm. Just seeing another side to him. Yeah, it's a real, like, setting the stall out again. But they love to do that, don't they? Mm. They, it's not they anymore. Walter's having a lie down. Yeah, it's nowhere near it. It's It's all done. Moving on. Greenflower Street. This is where I really got myself into a Steely Dan pickle. (laughs) Because is this about heroin? (laughs) I don't think any song on this record is to do with drugs okay so hit me hear me out he talks about his mandarin plum that's where i found my mandarin plum that's where you'd be if you found one where the blue are bright and joy is complete yeah which i just to say i had a misheard lyric on that oh and i thought it was nom de plum oh (laughs) it wasn't until i actually looked at the lyrics that's a good misheard lyric. And I was so convinced, this is how bad it was, I was so convinced that that lyric was wrong mm-hmm. that I actually submitted a change <gasps> on Genius and I got told, no, 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 no. No, no, no. You're hearing the wrong lyric. Oh, man, I can't <laughs> believe you went all the way to Genius HQ. Yeah. I was just like, it's got to, that's got to be wrong. But... It actually makes way more sense yeah, than my misheard lyric. Well, yeah. So I think Mandarin Plum, Opium. But he's also talking about... Basically saying they drift away for a thousand years, which makes me think, is he smacked out? of his brain and then he encounters Lu Chang Chang of course slang for cocaine oh fucking um, hell and Whoa. you know see can you see what I'm going to say Lu Chang's like you know you go to hell dude because he's given up cocaine for opium or heroin basically every single lyrics meaning website says no it's about an interracial relationship and he's white and she's Chinese and that was really frowned upon so he has to keep her secret on Greenflower Street. But then you're talking about, you know, wine and kerosene. Kerosene was used to cut drugs. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know. That's why I'm like, really? Is it really? But I don't know. You've definitely swayed me on this. That's what I think. This is a brilliant song. Also, it reminds me of Green Earrings as well. Yeah, it's got a similar groove to it, hasn't it? I keep saying groove, but this is a record that is really built around some really tight grooves totally totally <laughs> and the guitar lineup on this song is ridiculous yeah Larry Carlton is back on leads and then you've got Dean Parks and Rick Derringer just amazing imagine having those two guitarists on one song I mean it's just greedy really isn't it if it was needed for the song, it was needed for the song. <laughs> if that's one thing Steely Dan has taught me. A big personnel list. Yeah. And we get to hear as well some vocals by Greg Fillingaines, who is all over this record. Because I was like, is that Michael McDonald? Have a drink. 
It's Greg Fillingains doing a Michael McDonald impression. What I found a lot with these songs is that you do have the opportunity to really dig into the lyrics on some of them, but then some of them are really just kind of, they are what they are. Yeah. But then you end up having to dig a bit further into the actual production of the songs. But yeah, this one, I don't know. I still think this is about heroin. Who we'll can never say? Really, we'll never truly know. Well, you never know. Listen, Don, if you're listening to this, <laughs> call us. Yeah, put us out of our misery. Follow us on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Ruby Baby. First of all, this is probably my least favourite song on the album. I guess we could call it filler, couldn't we? Yeah, and uh, it's annoying though because it's a cover. Of a drifter's uh, song. Yeah. Before I realised it was a cover, I went off on one. I was like, oh, it's about a stalker. <laughs> <laughs> like a ghost, I'm going to haunt you. Yeah. And then obviously I researched it more and I was like, oh, it's a cover. So it's actually just like, you know, it's just a good old fashioned 1950s male entitlement song. Yeah. When will you be mine? In terms of the song, I'm a bit, oh, it's a bit, oh. but then the more I listen to it, the more I'm like, actually, this is the production of it is brilliant. It's completely flawless. Yeah, we've got Jeff Picaro on this one, which is just, he's unmistakable to me now. You can tell it's him. And it's pretty interesting that he's still doing session work because by 82, Toto are a pretty big band. Yeah, the whole production of it is so incredibly rich and fun as well because they wanted to have party sounds in the background. They tried to record one of Jerry Rubin's business parties in Studio 54. <laughs> But they didn't like how it sounded. So they had a party themselves in the studio. I was like, what party sounds? When I was reading up on this song, I was like, what party sounds? And I went back to listen to it. And it's like, oh, yeah. And actually, when you listen to that party going on in the background, it sounds like a fucking good party. Yeah, it sounds like a really good party. Yeah, yeah. And I absolutely just love the idea of them going into one of Jerry Rubin's parties in <laughs> Studio 54 and trying to record some of it. Like, what an amazing idea. Yeah. I just wish I'd been there. I know, parties we <laughs> would have both very happily just slipped into. We would have very happily slipped into and probably been carried out in a body bag, John. <laughs> <laughs> because we would have got so tired from partying very tired very sleepy yeah. yes exactly um, oh brecker brothers turn up in this one yeah brecker brothers they're just they're brilliant on this album i love it mm. absolutely love it and the harmonies as well fuck just stunning on the you know when will you be mine that line vocal arrangements on this whole album are phenomenal yes and his voice is just so good on this record yeah it is you know especially if we compare it to where it was at right at the start on can't buy a thrill mm -hmm. it feels like he's a lot more comfortable yeah. in himself yeah 100 percent. and 
probably because he's able to do what he wants and Walter's not involved, which is a shame, really. Would have been nice if this was, you know, Steely Dan into the 80s. Mm. It does make me feel a bit sad that this was his last recording until 93. I feel like he's just got a lot to say and a lot to do. And, you know, he had to wait over 10 years to go back into the studio again yeah yeah i don't know i feel so like intimately <laughs> involved <laughs> yeah. in these two men now well it's um, kind of like the relationship's finished isn't it and yeah it kind of makes imagine what it must have been like for walter though yeah so he produced a couple of records for china crisis China crisis yeah but didn't he fuck off to hawaii or somewhere like that yeah he actually heard china crisis which is really crazy because they're from liverpool mm. and he heard them on the radio while while he was in hawaii mm. and he actually reached out to them and said hey i'd like to produce your next record yeah which is a really good record for anyone that wants to really go the, the whole hog and uh dive into that one can you imagine, though, being China Crisis? Yeah. Who were heavily influenced by yeah. Steely Dan. And then Walter ringing them up going, all right, boys. Let's make a record. <laughs> You'd lose your shit, wouldn't you? Big time. What yeah. I find really funny, though, is you've got this extremely positive album from Don and then Walter's solo album, 11 Tracks of Whack. The track listing is hilarious in comparison. Down in the bottom, Junkie Girl. <laughs> Have you heard it? Cringe maker. No, I'm not oh. going into it until we actually get to get to do, get <laughs> to do it. I've I've done some forward listening, and we've really? we've definitely got some choppy waters ahead Ooh. of us. This moody <laughs> bastard. <laughs> it's so different. Uh, it's so different. Oh, so, bless them. Yeah. Maxine. I actually have a huge amount to say about Maxine. Apart from the vocal arrangements on this one in particular, probably the most of all of them, really reminds me of the Manhattan Transfer. So if you're not familiar with them, are uh, like an a cappella vocal group who my dad, my dad, here's my dad again, have a drink, who introduced me to them when I was doing close harmony singing when I was a young girl, which was obviously 20 billion years ago. <laughs> um, but that kind of arrangement, that kind of jazzy vocal a cappella type singing is so prevalent in this particular song. While the world is sleeping, we meet at Lincoln Talk about life, the meaning of it all. This is a balls-out love song, isn't it? It's yeah. very nostalgic and it's probably the biggest, I think, the biggest departure from Steely Dan. Yeah, it's super jazzy, isn't it? Very jazzy. And it's about not unrequited love, but maybe forbidden love. They're not allowed to be together, perhaps. And it's like, you know, just got to get through this time period. But he's talking about getting through graduation. Yeah. Which, again, feels like this sort of nostalgic which hung heavy over the early Steely Dan albums. Yeah. Because they just wouldn't let go of Bard College. Take a drink. Oh, here we go. We do need to do a drinking game, don't we? <laughs> like, seriously, heroin, Bard College, Michael McDonald, Valerie Simpson, my dad. Your dad, yeah. <laughs> I don't really have a massive amount to say about it. No, from... I don't really either, because you can't really read between the lines on this. Because no. Because it is completely transparent. Mm. and this coupled with Ruby still is kind of makes me feel it's a little bit filler 
partly because we've got some kind of big songs after we, this. Yeah, we have got some big songs after this. One thing we should probably note about this song is the Michael Brecker sax solo on it. Mm. Well, there we are. We can, there we uh, are. Maxine, done or dusted. <laughs> so, New Frontier. I fucking love this song, John. It's fucking amazing, isn't it? <laughs> I before, love it so much. Before we get into it, it's got the same arpeggiation as Happy Birthday by Stevie Wonder. <laughs> That's what I said. It's on my notes. Ah. Uh... Yes. When that struck me, I was just like, that's really weird. Yeah, and I was trying to work out which came first. Obviously, Happy Birthday came first. Yeah, because um, that's off Hotter Than July. Yes, Which yes. I believe is 1980. Yeah, literally just before. There's actually another Stevie Wonder connection to this record. Oh. So... This record, when it was released, so it was released on, on vinyl. It was released on cassette. It was also released on Betamax and VHS. Huh? Yep. When it was first released on CD, they used a degraded master for the CD. And Stevie Wonder called up Roger Nichols and said, what's up with the sound of this CD? Something's not right about it. No way. Yeah. Two Stevie Wonder references. Well, Stevie Wonder going on the bingo card. <laughs> the songwriting on this song blows my mind. The fucking vocal melody of this song is just amazing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Just how do you even write a melody like that? Mm-hmm. It's hilariously funny. Yeah. I think it's hysterically funny. Yeah. When I went into this album, I was listening to this song quite superficially and I wasn't really listening properly to the lyrics. And I was thinking, well, this is definitely about some kind of apocalypse. Maybe it's almost like a sequel to King of the World on Countdown to Ecstasy. But then when I read the lyrics properly, I was like, holy shit. He's having a party in his dad's nuclear bunker. He's trying to hook up with a girl. And then the second half of the song is him literally trying to seduce the girl. And you're hearing one of his pickup lines. Yeah. Like, oh, you like Brubeck. So do I. <laughs> oh, I can't wait till I move to the city <laughs> and study overseas. Oh, hey, you like jazz too. I know. Let's pretend that there's been a nuclear apocalypse and shagging my dad's bunker. Bonking in the bunker. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> it also reminds me, I don't know how au fait you are with Grease 2. So I have seen it probably twice. There's a song in it called Let's Do It For Our Country. Oh, I have heard that song, yes. And and like the woman's saying, oh, we should like sign up and like help with the war. And the other guy's like, nah, we should just like have sex in this bunker. <laughs> And it kind of reminds me of that as well. And this song actually has a music video. Yeah. 
which I haven't. Have you seen it? Yeah, I have seen it. I haven't seen it. I watched it today. Is it good? No, it's terrible. <laughs> it's like this very wholesome 1950s couple going into a bunker <laughs> and like dicking around in a bunker, but nothing happens. Well, you don't get to see any tit or anything. Well, MTV, um, you don't Yeah, really, but then it's kind of interspersed with slightly crude animations of like a big red hand coming down to push the button, <laughs> you know, and like Russians toiling <laughs> in the fields, that kind of thing. Oh, I wish um, I'd watched it now. Yeah, it's pretty shit, to be honest with you. And then the guy passes out and the girl leaves a bunker and she leaves her kind of silk glove on his shoulder. He wakes up in the morning opens up the bunker door and sees this kind of person in a radiation suit standing over the top of him. Yeah. And then the mask comes off and it's the girl. Uh, and laughing. Ha ha, I tricked you. <laughs> it's not a nuclear wasteland, it's just me. I read that that video got a lot of play on MTV. Yeah, people love amazing. it, but, you know, times are hard, but there wasn't much to choose from. Yeah, the lyrics on this are amazing. So I <clears> fell into <throat> a hole about the perfume because I'm really interested in this big blonde, this woman that he's trying to... It looks like Tuesday World. <laughs> yeah. She's wearing ambush and a French twist. So he could have picked any perfume, really. Yeah. But he's chose ambush, and ambush was... And actually, you still buy it. And I'm kind of tempted to get it because it sounds right up my street because they <laughs> they brought it out and marketed it as a woman's perfume. But a lot of people thought that it was quite actually quite a masculine fragrance. Right. I think they tweaked it very slightly and changed the name and started marketing it to men. But it's considered that if you wear ambush, you're actually you're actually quite sexually aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> And then you've got this line, she likes to limbo, that much is clear. It's like, oh, all right. Who is this girl? Yeah. I like her. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen a picture of Tuesday World? Yes, I have. She's beautiful, isn't she? Yeah, she's really beautiful. But I feel like that's kind of at odds with this person that he's describing. Actually, she's, you know, a bit of a goer. <laughs> Bit of a goer is totally into role playing <laughs> nuclear apocalypse. <laughs> It's the first strong highlight of the record. I agree. I agree. Beyond IGY. Yeah. Yeah, you get through Ruby Baby and Maxine and then you're rewarded with this brilliant song. Yeah, I absolutely love it. <laughs> it's just I'm just reading the lyrics now, just <laughs> laughing at them. She's got the right dynamic for the new frontier. <laughs> <laughs> Childbearing hips. Oh my god. Apologies to all women. <laughs> it's such a weirdly laid out album though because you go from an, one brilliant song to another absolutely yeah. brilliant song mm. which this song the next song is my absolute favorite on the whole album i fucking love the nightfly i kind of feel like i'm saying the same things about each track but i just <laughs> enjoy listening to this record so much mm, it's a really enjoyable listen isn't it yeah this is i have decided a mellow banger ah so this is going on my next mellow bangers playlist because yeah i just love it so much i've never really heard it before i probably sat down and listened to this album i think i probably heard it you know and not realized who it was again this is really funny as well yeah it's a really funny song. And I think out of all of them, this conjures up a specific fantasy that maybe Donald had about being a, like a late night DJ. Yeah. The Nightfly. It's basically, it's the album cover, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's the album cover kind of brought to life. It's got the, the most amazing groove. I love kind of just dark chair dancing to this, the syncopation of it. And it's great. 
And then you've got this kind of this WJAZ yeah. bit in it, which That's is just like, like so well done. It really is so an independent station, WJAZ, and that kind of music production. Yeah. Which is interesting. There's debate about whether this is a misheard lyric because in the song FM, they sing about funked up music, but some people think it's funked up music or funked up music. But I hear music, which yeah. is quite a self-aware description of their own music. I love the idea of a show just being jazz and conversation. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like maybe when I'm in my like mid-50s, I might strike it lucky and have my own show called Jazz and Conversation. Jazz and Conversation. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. You should call it or WJOZ. There's a couple of lines in this where he says, in the second verse, where he says, I've got plenty of job in Chesterfield Kings, but I feel like crying. I wish I had a heart of ice. And it's like, whoa, hang on. One of the most icy hearted songwriters of the 20th century mm-hmm. and it really makes me see him in a different way yeah and then the song completely changes for verse three because then he's lamenting his lost love and yeah. the whole song changes the melody changes the production i think changes as well so it starts with this quite light-hearted it's like another little vignette isn't it one yeah. of their little kind of windows into someone else's life what happened to disarms you yeah that's the exact right word for it Mm, it does mm. it does disarm you and then we have also another completely made up thing mount belzoni yeah yeah there's no mountains in uh in baton rouge no no mount from the foot of mount belzoni but that's another little quirk of them isn't it a little red herring yeah let's throw something in that is just completely made up like the battle apple in josie yeah yeah i want to talk about the bass on this go for it because it's marcus miller yeah and it absolutely blows my mind the bass line in this song marcus miller he co-wrote get it right for aretha franklin which is one of my favorite songs ever i absolutely love it the groove on it and the the production of it i just absolutely i just want to listen to that isolated bass line because it's so beautiful it's, blo- it's just stunning yeah he's a really really amazing bass player Mm, yeah, he played with Miles Davis for like most of the eighties as well. Yeah, yeah, he did. He's worked with like all like huge amount of incredible musicians. Imagine yeah. making your job being a session musician. I just think it's great. Yeah, just... <laughs> like being like at the top of your game and being wheeled in for like the best of the best because there's no one else that's good enough. Yeah, what an achievement! Maybe I'll do that on the spoons. <laughs> yeah, give it a go. I'll give it a go. And then unmistakable Jeff Picaro on drums as well. Yeah. Owning it, as the kids say. Owning it, yeah. <laughs> I really look forward to it coming on. Yeah, me too. It is the strongest track. We're coming up to my probably my second favourite track. Mm. What is your favourite? Was your favourite The Night Flight? Yeah. 
it's yeah. a great song. But the goodbye look, I fucking love it. <laughs> I love this song too. It's got like a samba feel. Mm-hmm. It does sound a little bit cheesy, but I just fucking adore his singing on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His vocals, they're quite clipped in some places. Yeah, I think that maybe that's because of the way they were recording the vocals. Mm-hmm. So they were, because they were comping them. Comping vocals now is quite, that's how vocals are recorded. And sometimes you can hear it and sometimes you can't. Mm-hmm. Like I heard, I heard like the new song from Pearl Jam the other day. Mm. And the comping was like sticking out like a sore thumb. Right. To the point where I was like, I can't really, I can't listen to this song and enjoy it mm-hmm. because I know that it's not a complete vocal line. It's just been copy and pasted. Mm. So maybe that's, that's why it can sound a bit clipped on that. Yeah. But it works, I think. Yeah. With the line, you know, the rules are changed. It's yeah. not the same. That real kind of clipped delivery in you know in parallel with that sort of groovy beach vibe that this song has but again it's another one of these little sneaky oh this is a jolly song <laughs> this is a merry ditty Oh, it's about a coup. Yeah. It makes me think of Godfather 2 when Michael and Fredo are in Cuba and the the coup is looming over them and actually takes place while they're there on New Year's Eve. It's got that kind of sinister edge to it. You know, this talk of a bit of action after dark behind the big casino on the beach. And then later on, he's like... They're arranging a small reception just for me behind the big casino by the sea, and it's, chill- <laughs> it's but it's chilling, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, because like, they're going to take him out. Because tonight they're arranging a small reception just for me behind the big casino by the sea. I know what happens. I read the book. I believe I just got the goodbye look. I believe I just got the goodbye look. That's the good book. Because when you first listen to it, you think that maybe the goodbye look is a girl giving him the goodbye look. Yeah, that's what I thought when I first listened to it. I was but like, it's oh, not. Hang on. No, I thought, is this like a young guy? Yeah. A little bit, you know, immature, but no, it's not. It's about a coup. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's about a guy who's been looked at knowing that he's going to be killed. Yeah. He's such a sneaky bastard, Lizzie. Hey, Don. Oh, Don. Yeah, he is. I love him. <laughs> I love him. I'm getting to that point now where I, I am with Bjork. I think if I ever found myself in a situation where he was standing in front of me, I probably couldn't talk to him. Yeah, I would. I'd just be like, oh, I love you. I wouldn't. <laughs> I love because, you so much. Because I know no matter what I say to him, he would either physically roll his eyes <laughs> or he would be rolling his eyes in his head. <laughs> he'd be really polite and they'd be like who the fuck's this yeah dude? <laughs> yeah so just be like ah, oh, you know oh my god Donald Fagan I can't yes. believe Peg's about a woman <laughs> being coerced into <laughs> pornography he'd be like no but he'd probably not no it's not yeah he's so fucking stupid <laughs> oh, we're like yeah 
I'm an idiot. Donald Fagan called me an idiot. <laughs> that would make a good um, T-shirt. Donald Fagan called me an idiot. Yeah. I wonder oh, whether we could make that happen. I want a T-shirt that says that. That would be amazing. Donald, if you're listening, please call us idiot. <laughs> but don't, because we work really hard on this podcast. Yeah. Put the hours <laughs> in. We're at, you know, we're at we're 16 hours. Oh, my God. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> um, I absolutely love the line of skinny man with two-tone shoes. Yeah. It's just like the tiniest little thing, but again, it paints this incredibly vivid picture of the situation he's found himself in. This kind of shady dude who's going to rescue him so he doesn't get killed. Standing, I imagine, I've just got this image of him standing on a jetty, this kind of slimy, seedy man with a thin moustache that he's had to pay loads of money. To yeah. get him away from and it's like the tiniest little line and that's what his songwriting does for me mm. it just paints these incredibly vivid pictures yeah um and yeah igy as well i i get such a vivid image in my head when i listen to igy of like a properly kind of yeah like a real science fiction yeah you know cityscape and likewise this one the line last night i dreamed of an old lover dressed in gray is that like a shroud? Is that foretelling his death? Because yeah, it contrasts think, yeah, with maybe, the women yeah. in white line. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Realising that the game's up. Oh, the only other thing. So the only other thing I wanted to say about this one is the casino line and how that loops back into IGY because of the space casino thing. Yeah. It's kind of thematic Good thread. It's thematic thread. But I think that probably would have worked better if this was the last song on the album. Because we're, we're at the end already. We are at the end. It's a quick record. It is a quick record. And like we said before, it doesn't have the depth of songwriting as the other Steely Dan albums do, where you could probably... I mean, we probably could have talked about Gaucho and Asia for about four hours apiece. Yeah. If we'd really dug into absolutely everything. Yeah. And then this last song, um, Between Raindrops, this feels like a bit of a novelty record to me. I like it. Oh, like it i like it a little bit more than i like ruby baby but it does feel a bit like you know when they discussed in interviews about wanting to make jazz music using modern instruments yeah it feels a bit like he's exploring what they tried with eastern louis to lou mm. but for kind of big band music yeah because there's so many synths on this one this was the one that I struggled to decide. I was thinking, just think, is this actually an organ or is this a synthesizer? And it's got a synth bass on it as well, this yeah. one. Um, but it is actually Don playing an actual organ on this song. But it's got this kind of Cab Calloway vibe and it's the bit where they go... <laughs> it's quite charming i suppose but yeah it does to me it feels a little bit like let's just stick around with this sound let's play big band but with modern instruments with loads of synthesizers it's kind of like the last song of the night isn't it yeah like let's grab about big blonde <laughs> wearing ambush and a french twist and have a little dance with it it's quite a sweet song isn't it yeah the sweetest song i've ever heard this man sing <laughs> sweeter than maxine yeah i think so oh maxine makes me a bit sad this this song just makes me feel really happy. Oh, that's nice. Because it's just 
It's just very gentle and tender, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Because don't they have like a Barney? They have a bit of an argument. Yeah. Him and his missus. I feel like they have a little bit of an argument, but then everything's fine. Yeah. We fought. Now I can't remember why. After all the words were said and tears were gone, we vowed we'd never say goodbye. So it's like we had an argument and that now it's okay and we're going to walk between the raindrops back to your door. Yeah. But it's very romantic mm. and quite epic as well. Yeah. Yeah. And they're just talking about big hotels as well. The big hotels were in this other, like, this big casino, this beach idea, going back to the goodbye look. He's so good at, like, tying stuff together, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Just... He is, bless him. I wouldn't go out of my way to listen to this song. No, it's not, you know, I'll be sat around and be like, oh, I really want to listen to Walk Between yeah. Raindrops right now. <laughs> but we also have Mr. Larry Carlton is back. Yeah. Doing his thing. Larry Carlton's on this a whole bunch, isn't he? Yeah. This album. Yeah. Were they, were they pals? They I must have been. I don't know, maybe. I can't really imagine Don being really pally with anyone. <laughs> well, he was pally with Walter and look where that ended yeah, up. Yeah, true. All of it tits up, didn't it? It did. So we're at the end of the record. We are at the end of the record. It's been an interesting journey. Mm. I still find it hard to separate this album from Steely Dan albums. Yeah. Don actually found writing without Walter to be really difficult. Aww. And he entered into a lengthy period of writer's block after this record. And to that point, we don't get another record from Don until... 93, I think. Yeah, we don't get another record from Don until 1993. 11 years such a big gap isn't it huge gap and it's produced by water hi walt so he's welcome back but we'll be back to talk about kamikari ads very exciting so (laughs) thanks for kind of taking the time to listen to us go off piste and explore the solo years wilderness thank you very much for listening to this week's episode we will be back again in two weeks time to blow your mind even further take it easy this podcast is a proud member of the bff.fm podcast network learn more at podcast.bff.fm bff.fm best frequencies forever